You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Supply chain attacks and Operation Shadowhammer's Asus Backdoor. Locker Goga ransomware may be slow and sloppy, but its masters are determined and willing to play for high stakes. What will happen with FEMA over its data mishandling incident? Responses to the Mueller report's conclusions. Venezuela says it was hacked again. The rhetorical technique is implausible insistence. And what do PewDiePie fans call themselves? The nine-year-olds? The bro army? Fans of Mr. Pie's girlfriend are the Marzipans. Thought you'd like to know. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 26, 2019. The ASIS backdoor security researchers at Kaspersky Lab disclosed recently has been independently confirmed by security firm Symantec, which thinks the campaign ran from June through October of last year. Kaspersky calls the backdoor Operation Shadowhammer. It spreads through the ASIS Live Update utility and gave attackers access to and control over infected machines. The trojanized utility was hosted on ASIS's site and signed with an ASIS certificate, which, Kaspersky says, no doubt helped it evade detection. Motherboard broke the story yesterday, and reporter Kim Zetter notes that it took ASIS some time to respond and registers disapproval that their response didn't acknowledge Kaspersky's role in finding the compromised utility. But give Kaspersky full credit for sounding the alarm on this. Symantec does. 57,000 has been widely quoted as the number of users hit, but that's a significant understatement, low by at least a couple of orders of magnitude. 57,000 represents the number of Kaspersky installations the company says detected Shadowhammer. Symantec thinks around 500,000 systems were affected. Kaspersky guesses that tally of infected machines is probably at least on the order of a million. That's give or take a couple of baker's dozen. There's no attribution yet beyond calling the attackers an APT, which usually means that it's a nation-state. Who that nation-state might be is unknown, as are the attackers' objectives. Shadowhammer's known geographical distribution offers no particular clues— The U.S. leads in the number of infections, but that's just with 13% of them, barely nosing out Australia's 12% and Italy's 11%. It's worth noting that this is a supply chain attack. The attack compromises a third-party device or service as a means of hitting its ultimate target. Software updating utilities have been among the more attractive vehicles of such attacks. NotPetya, for example, transmitted itself via compromised updates to an otherwise innocent Ukrainian tax preparation software package. Problems with the ASIS supply chain have been suspected for some time. As ITWire points out, 
Duo Security flagged issues with the ASUS OEM updater utility back in 2016. They did so in the context of what they colorfully called shovelware, crapware, bloatware, and they did warn that such unnecessary and unwanted software posed a security threat. They ironically called it value-added, although value-subtracted might be better, if less ironic. But Shadowhammer is a different, more serious matter, evidently deliberately installed for attack purposes. The story is continuing to develop. Security firm Alert Logic has told ZDNet they found a bug in the Locker Goga ransomware that could enable potential victims to, as they put it, inoculate their systems against infection, crashing the malware as it attempts to execute and before it encrypts files. No Before has an interesting take on Locker Goga. The security firm says on its blog, quote, Technically, Locker Goga is just another ransomware strain and not even a very good one. It's got bugs and it's slow. However, the gang behind it represents a dangerous combination of aggressive disruption and high-stakes targets. End quote. The attackers are thought likely to patch the bug soon, so enterprises would be well advised to follow sound practices with respect to regular secure backup. Norsk Hydro appears to have done that and have been able to recover without paying the ransom demanded. The two U.S. chemical companies affected over the past few days are continuing to work on their recovery. One of those, Momentive, is said by Motherboard to have ordered new computers to replace its infected inventory. The folks at Oracle and KPMG recently published their cloud threat report for 2019. Greg Jensen is senior principal and director of cloud security at Oracle. Organizations, by and large, they're simply just not prepared right now. And it points back to this challenge around shared responsibility, which is, what's my role as a customer? What's my role versus my cloud provider in securing that data that's now in the cloud? A lot of respondents really feel confused by that. They don't know where their role ends and the cloud provider picks up. We also see a lot of um, um, interesting uh, anecdotes that come out tied to visibility, how organizations simply are just flying down the highway with their their most precious cargo in tow, but they, they can't even see out the windshield right now. And this, this is really resulting in the fact that only one out of every 10 organizations are able to analyze at least 75% of their security events that are transpiring within their environment. And so that, that means we're really working with blinders on right now. We can't see the attack coming. How much of this do you suppose is a matter of folks um, perhaps uh, looking for the advantages of the cloud and all the things that it brings, but um, you know maybe uh, turning a blind eye to some of the additional work that comes with it? Yeah, you know what? What a lot. What happens in a lot of organizations is because cloud is really become very. Um, uh, it's very easy to deploy a cloud solution today. It's in many cases as simple as spooling up an instance, and that type of ability has given the line of business. If you take, for example, a legal department, if they know they can spool up some type of new service within an hour and start getting real value out of it. They potentially might, and in many cases they do. Now, what's the risk there? Well, quite often in that hour or in those weeks, they have not engaged or don't fully engage the security team. And and what is the security team's role? Well, you need to have the security team involved. You need, you need to have compliance involved. You need to have all these groups involved to look at these new applications and determine, 
Are there any risks? Is it an insecure platform? Will that new service meet our regulatory compliance like GDPR or California Privacy Acts? So all of these things sometimes get skipped. And it's not until the service is rolled out that someone finally will realize there's a new enterprise app that's being used by our employees and we didn't know about it. Now we have to go in and try to put controls around it and that takes more time and leaves the organization and customers exposed. So based on the information you collected here, what are your recommendations? What, uh, what should organizations do to get a better handle on this? You know, it starts with, it, really, this is a people process technology type of thing, right? I, I, it's, not, it's not go acquire a new service that's going to take care of all your problems. There is no silver bullet. But it, it's multiple things. It's starting with having a, all the advanced training for your people and do it on a, re, on a reoccurring basis. And make sure your users and your cyber teams are fully trained and, and up, to, up to spec. The other part is processes. Make sure all the processes that you're incorporating within the security or IT organization are completely in line with closing all these areas of risk. In other words, if you aren't sure if your cloud ser uh, service provider is going to cover uh, maybe cloud-based penetration testing, well, don't go on the assumption that that's just going to happen. Ask. Look into the contracts. Understand for every single service provider that you have, what are they doing? What do I need to do? And then make sure that you have a program wrapped around that. And then, of course, the technology is a very important step because with the amount of events and alerts taking place today, advanced technologies that help create um, a means of automation to close the loop, that's so important now. That's Greg Jensen from Oracle. The report is the Oracle and KPMG Cloud Threat Report for 2019. FEMA's data mishandling incident seems likely, the Washington Post says, to serve as a test case for the U.S. administration's stated determination to hold agencies responsible for this sort of misstep. The Department of Homeland Security Inspector General called the episode a direct violation of applicable data handling rules, and FEMA called it a major privacy incident. Both the Senate and House Homeland Security Committees are considering investigating. It's worth noting that the FEMA incident wasn't a hack, and the data themselves don't appear to have gotten into anyone's hands other than those of the still unnamed contractor who was hired to place disaster victims in hotels and other temporary quarters. So in this respect, the FEMA incident is not like, for example, the famous OPM breach of 2014, when Chinese espionage services romped through the U.S. government's security clearance files. But many are looking at the FEMA incident as something that ought to serve as a wake-up call, at least, and maybe an occasion for the sort of action against federal managers that would encourage the others to do better in the future. President Trump has done a lot of probably understandable crowing over the announced results of Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, as reported by Attorney General Barr, even as the president's detractors glom noisily onto the special counsel's non-call with respect to obstruction. The president woofed a bit about the treason involved in seeing collusion where the special counsel found no real evidence, but it's best to read traitor in this context as meaning something more like jerk or even really bad jerk who ought to get fired, and not the Constitution's more formal definition in Article 3, which goes something like this. Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort.
In any case, the likeliest near-term result of the report are further congressional hearings and expressions of determination to do something about security in future elections. Russian response to the Mueller report is generally being characterized as muted. Less muted is Russia's response to Venezuela's power outages. In a gesture of friendship and solidarity, Moscow has dispatched military aircraft and some military personnel to help Caracas recover from cyber attacks and sabotage the Chavista regime says it suffered over the past month. Electricity went out again yesterday, but Venezuela's current de facto leaders say they've mostly restored power. They blame a cyber attack, again, and few, but probably not even most of the Chavistas, believe this. Venezuela's power grid has been failing under neglect and mismanagement for some time. And finally, Bravo MSysoft, which has just released a decryptor for the recent round of the PewDiePie-boosting ransomware PewCrypt. The ransomware campaign was mounted by the YouTube star's fans in an attempt to boost their hero's profile over the rival stars of T-Series, best known as a producer of Bollywood music. Here's a sample of the PewDiePie adherent's persuasive prose, courtesy of SC Magazine. Quote, the private key will be deleted and you files gone forever. End quote. Should T-Series have more followers than Mr. Pi, and should Mr. Pi fail to reach 100 million followers? MSISOF says there's not a pandemic of PewCrypt infections out there, but there's definitely a thin sprinkling of victims across cyberspace. So good work, MSISOF. And we hope the nine-year-olds of the Bro Army and their marzipan inamoratas can move on to other things. Travel, divert yourself, try a laxative, get a GED. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. He's also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast, which you should definitely check out. Joe, great to have you back. Dave, I'm very pleased to be here. So we are going to talk today about Facebook. Yay. <laughs> Facebook <laughs> uh, is in the news again. Yes, they, they again. They seem to have a hard time getting out of the news. They, they cannot... Can't they, get out of their own way. They can't get out of their own way. <laughs> I mean, it's like they have so many holes in their in their feet from the bullets they keep putting through them, and they're going, yeah. why does this keep happening? Yeah, yeah. So this time, uh, it is the storage of many, many passwords. In plain text. In plain text. So right. walk us through how does something like this happen. So Facebook released a statement that said that when they store your password, they, they salt and hash the password, and then they go through an additional step where they use a cryptographic key to, uh, to encrypt it so that even if their password database was stolen, their user database was stolen or broken into, somebody would not be able to crack the hashes because they don't have the cryptographic key. Okay, this right? all sounds good to me so far. That's great. That's great. But that's in their database for the users. This is something from their developers that when they were developing applications, they would log user credentials in plain text. So before they sent the data off to be processed in this secure process, while it was still in plain text, in the plain text that the user entered it, they would store that data in a log file somewhere. This seems to me like a policy problem. <laughs> it, it is a policy problem. It, this, this story is replete with policy problems. In the Krebs on Security article, Brian Krebs quotes a, a software developer, Scott Renfro, and he says, in this situation, what we found is these passwords were inadvertently logged and that there was no actual risk that's come from this. We want to make sure that we're reserving those steps and only force password changes in cases where there's definitely been signs of abuse. So in other words, what this developer is saying is, after the horses left the barn, then we're going to close the door, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Just because you don't have evidence of abuse is not absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Correct. That's what <laughs> right. I'm trying to that's right. what I'm trying to stammer right. through here. Right. Um this this is not not the good not the right thing to do. You need to force users to change their passwords because their passwords have been compromised and stored in plain text somewhere. Don't just recommend that they change their passwords. I think you should force a password change. Well, and I think that speaks to a fundamental issue here, right? Which is that these companies ask us to place our trust in them, right? That they're going to securely store our passwords. Mm -hmm. And here is a case where clearly they have not. They, they have not done that. And so they say that these passwords were not compromised. I, I suppose I could make the argument that the very fact that they mishandled them is a compromise. I would agree. I would agree with that. The, and, the, these, these passwords have been compromised because they've been exposed and available to 20,000 Facebook employees. going Dating back to 2012. Right. Now, they, they say that only 2,000 of those people have accessed the data that's okay. a lot of people. What if one-tenth of one percent of those people are bad actors? Right. right? You got two people that have had, had access to those, those, uh, those passwords in unencrypted form. Mm -hmm. 
I, where where do we go from here? I, I guess well, the recommendation is first thing I tell everybody is change your passwords on Facebook. Yeah. change them now. So why and, not? Right? Yeah, why not? I, if you're using a password manager, it's no sweat. You just go in, change your password. You have a new complex twenty character password, mm-hmm. and you're done. All right. Well, everybody, beware. Go. Um, just I mean, why not? Just go change go that change Facebook password. password. There's no reason not to. Yep. Yeah. All right. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.